Welcome to episode four of the Road Trips podcast. Uh, we had a fantastic uh, conversation last night with Sean O'Brien. Uh, as as advertised, uh, Sean uh, shared a, a ton of useful information for uh, anyone in the game. Uh, he's he's a wealth of knowledge and uh, so well spoken, and and of, and of course uh, some hilarious hockey stories from uh, from all his years. We, we had a great time. Uh, Talking to Sean, and uh, I think Nathan, you were you were mentioning, uh, you know, even as a hopefully a future hockey parent, uh, you you picked up some pointers that you're gonna try to implement. Yeah, I you know you just said for anyone in the game that that definitely after our talk with Sean extends to uh, parents, coaches, um, you know, it could be could be just about anyone who's uh, who's spending time around the rink, and uh, you know, for me, like you said, Chad is. Uh, as a hopefully a future hockey hockey parent, um, <clears throat> you know, some of Sean shared uh, a few rules that uh, he's kind of governed his his parenting um, of of hockey players by, which I found super insightful, and they definitely resonated with me. Where where my little guy's starting to get on the ice these last couple winters and 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 learn how to skate a little bit, um, you know, totally obsessed with his his hockey stick and, and getting the puck on his tape. But uh, yeah, I, I think it was a terrific advice for, for parents to, and, and, you know, even the fact that it's, it's hard to abide by your own rules sometimes. So uh, I thought that was, that was great for him to share. And, you know, I was, I was really happy that he, that he did. So um, it, it definitely was something that I'll be, I'll be taking with me uh, on my, on my journey through, uh, through being a, a sports parent, not just a hockey parent. Yeah, and uh, I, I enjoyed it as well. There, there are many people who, who have that many years of experience in hockey and that many different perspectives as a scout, as a advisor, as a parent, as a player. It's he's the full package. So I really enjoyed it and can't wait for it to come out. We're lucky enough that uh, we get to benefit from Sean's insight and, and all of his years of experience uh, as he's Connor's uh, advisor with Maloney and Thompson. So I'm really happy that we're able to share uh, at least some of that with, with our listeners. Uh, and I really think this episode, which is probably going to be a two-part episode, um, will really hammer home what we're trying to do with this podcast. Um, so not only is it you know some great hockey stories and and looking at the journeys that that our guests have taken, but you know really trying to uh, share some useful information that people can um, move forward with to help them uh, on their on their future journey. So uh, hopefully everyone enjoys it. And and then speaking of that, um, for all you listeners that are enjoying what we're what we're doing so far. Um, Please hop over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe to the podcast, throw us a rating. I think you can follow on Spotify as well or whatever platform you use. And uh, give us a follow on Twitter. Uh, the handle is at Road Trips, R-O-D-E-T-R-I-P-S. With that, we'll throw it over to the interview with Sean O'Brien. A native of Halifax, Sean O'Brien played his minor hockey in Halifax and is a graduate of Acadia University, where he played hockey for the Axemen. Sean has been active in the hockey community his entire adult life. He's coached minor hockey, major midget, junior A, and was the first head coach of Team Atlantic Under-17 in the early 90s. He's also coached female hockey for several years and reflects fondly on those years. 
Sean has been scouting for 30 years and was previously Atlantic head scout for the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League Central Scouting Service and head amateur scout for International Scouting Services. Sean is currently regional manager with National Bank Financial Wealth Management, and for the past 12 years, his hockey involvement has been specifically in the agency business. He currently works for Maloney and Thompson Sports Management and is part of a team that represents more than 30 maritime-based players. Sean is married to Susan, and they have four children, Liam, Rowan, Kate, and Callum, all of whom played competitive hockey. Their oldest son, Liam, is under contract with the Washington Capitals and is currently a member of the Hershey Bears of the AHL. Sean is never shy to express his opinion and is always willing to help young players as much as he can. We personally know this very well as Sean is Connor's advisor with Maloney and Thompson and has benefited him tremendously through his insight and experience. Welcome to Road Trips, Sean O'Brien. Wow. Woo. I don't even know who that guy is. <laughs> <laughs> Put all that stuff in paper, eh? It makes me feel really old. There you go, right? The longer Put you have to wait for your intro, the older you are. <laughs> yeah, it makes me, makes me proud, though. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a very it's, nice introduction. Thank you. That's fantastic. So uh, we're, we're thrilled to have you. Uh, thanks for uh, agreeing to come on with us. Uh, lots of... Yep. Uh, Lots of excitement out there when I uh, put the teaser tweet out that Sean O'Brien was yeah. coming. Lots of, lots of activity. activity. That's right. <laughs> it's all my family members. <laughs> exactly it. That's yeah. what we need. Well, I, you know what? I want to, before we get started, I want to tip my hat to you guys for having the courage to do this. Oh, thank I you. I think it's great. Yeah. And uh, I'm happy to be part of it. Awesome. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's something that I was thinking about for a while and, uh, and uh, we just figured now would be the best time with uh, everyone sort of cooped up inside and missing their hockey yeah. and yeah yeah so it's been a fun project good, uh, so now appreciate it good yeah great so as we were prepping for this uh we were looking at uh, you know your your intro there and everything that you've done and it's like okay well where do we go with this because there's sean o'brien the hockey dad there's sean o'brien the player the coach the scout the advisor in the sports agency business. So there's a lot to yeah. cover. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of potential material there. There's a lot to cover and uh, hoping that we can touch on all of it. But what we thought we'd do is start with uh, Sean O'Brien, the hockey dad. Um, yeah, you know, I think. A good place to start. I think that's probably of, of everything. I think we'd all agree that's our most important job. So let's start with that one. Yeah. Good. So as we, mentioned, as we mentioned in the intro, four, four kids – Rowan, Callum, Kate, and Liam all played high level. Yeah. So hoping to sort of touch a little bit on some of their paths and, you know, the levels that they played at and challenges and successes and failures. Yeah. So with four, Liam's the oldest. Uh, Liam of the group is probably the most well-known because he's a professional hockey player. Uh, Kate, my daughter, uh, we'll come back to Liam, but my daughter uh, loved hockey. She was very athletic, maybe the most athletic of the four. Um, she was a good lacrosse player, still playing varsity lacrosse at St. Mary's. And she played prep school in, in New Hampshire or in Vermont for a couple of years and had opportunities to pursue the game in the collegiate level, but just um, didn't have the motivation. She just kind of, she enjoyed doing other things. Um, but probably of the four of them, the one that was most naturally inclined to succeed in hockey. Boys are going to love that. Yeah. Well, they've heard it before. <laughs> yeah, I've been. Mean, uh, and then Rowan was the goaltender, uh, drafted by Gatineau, um, played, 
played a little bit in the Quebec League, but played mostly uh, Tier 2. And, uh, yeah, he was – if Rowan played out, he'd still be playing somewhere because he's just ferociously competitive. Um, but he was a goalie and uh, had a very good career and had a head injury near the end of his career. And, and I think that took, took the huh. – it, it impacted his game. It, it made it more difficult to play, and he, he decided to, to to go to school, and he's, he's doing terrific. And then Callum's my youngest. Um, Callum was was a hockey player because we were at the rinks all the time with three playing. He had no choice, and uh, he was he was the best skater of the group, like just light on his feet and just effortless. Um, he played prep school hockey, and he also had a try with St. John Sea Dogs in the Quebec League. Um, and then he decided just to focus on school. So proud of all four of them. They're all uh, good players. They're good teammates. Um, and they all had a lot of great experiences in hockey. I'm curious with uh, with with Kate. Um, did she start playing with the boys at younger ages and eventually all female yeah, teams? Kate, or? Kate started. We were living in Montreal when she started. She started young. Uh, she was probably three when she started playing hockey and organized hockey at four. I think Rowan started organized hockey at like three and a half. I think I paid the guy a few bucks to let him in. <laughs> but uh, I don't think I actually know I did. Um, but yeah, Kate played, you know, uh, mixed hockey. And then when we lived in Toronto, she played in the Mississauga Female League, which is the biggest female league in the world, which is a great experience for her. And then when we moved back to Halifax, she played uh, female hockey and, and girls high school hockey. And then, of course, prep school in, in Vermont. So. Yeah. yeah, that's that's fantastic. How many years in Vermont? She was there for two. Two years. Yeah, and she could have returned. You know, it's uh, she could have stayed there. She had a, another friend that she went with who's since played college hockey in the U.S. and Kate was on that path. But um, it was, you know, it was a fair bit of money on our our behalf. She had a, a generous scholarship, but even with a scholarship, it's expensive. And we made the decision as a family. She just wasn't that interested in pursuing hockey beyond that, so she sure. decided to come home and go to school at home finish here with a friend yeah so then uh so then of course liam and then liam you know liam of the four um you know he started playing hockey in montreal and then uh, we moved back to halifax and we were in toronto and he played uh, up till first year bantam here in halifax and then second year bantam played played at ross Bay netherwood and then his first year midget his only year midget he played at notre dame saskatchewan where they won the telus cup um fortunately he scored the winning goal which is really cool on national television mm, and wow. then he uh drafted by Ramuski, played at Ramuski and uh, and Ruan Naranda and then signed with Washington as a free agent in 2014 and he's played six years in that organization um they're uh, unrestricted free agent this summer so it'll be interesting to see what happens or this fall <laughs> I don't think yeah. we're going to see free agency July 1st it's likely going to be September 1st but, uh, yeah, he's on his third contract with that organization. I think he's played 20-some-odd games. Um, if they resume play this summer, he'll be with the team. He'll be a black ace. Um, so, yeah, he's had a great career. And, and uh, I think he's got lots more hockey left. So it's uh, how many years now in the, in the pro ranks? He's in his sixth professional year. And Hard I think believe. I saw, yeah, I think I saw, it doesn't look like he's played a game below the AHL that entire time, but it looks about no. yeah. below the he AHL. Start, he actually started yeah. in the NHL. So his, 
his first 14 games of that season, he started in the NHL. So he's a walk-on um, and started the, started with the big club. Yeah, and then and then really just stuck around in the A and got up for yep. you know games in the in the NHL. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. What was pretty, it? Pretty exciting. I know. I know. He's got an NHL goal. What was it like to be in the stands <laughs> and watch your son score a goal in the NHL? Well, I wasn't in the stands for his first NHL goal. I was in the stands for his first NHL fight. Okay. <laughs> which was at home against the Montreal Canadiens, and he decided to fight Brandon Prust. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, I, and he did pretty well in the fight. It was, you know, Prust is an old, smart pro, and he spinned him around at the end and hit him a few times. But Liam had, had him down and let him back up, and he did all right. But uh, Liam's first NHL goal was in Vancouver. He scored on Ryan Miller. And it was a pass yeah. from Mike Green from the point to the slot. It was a redirect off the top bar and in. And it was That's a beauty. Sick. It was really one of his nicest pro goals of all time. So it was, it was a beautiful one. Very he cool. was playing on a line. His, his uh, centerman was uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov. Wow. Not a bad, not a bad guy to be dishing you the puck. Not no. a big deal. Kuzi's probably thinking, like, what am I doing on the, on the ice with this guy? You know? <laughs> But yeah, pretty exciting. I'd say. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Well, I sort of wanted to bring it back a little bit to what we started with and four kids and sort of focusing on Liam a little bit, obviously, because he's playing pro hockey. But um, I did, you know, that I went out to the track with Liam a couple times last summer and like, yeah. see, I saw his work ethic and second to none. So, sort of for all your kids, but. Like summer training and stuff, we've talked about this before. Um, for me, and what goes what goes into um, a trainer for your kids? How do you decide? Uh, how do you decide who's perfect for for them to allow them to reach their full potential? Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, there's a lot of trainers, and you know, running a gym or being a fitness trainer, it's a job, and it's uh, in some cases, it's a business. And uh, fortunately here in Halifax, we have several really good trainers. Uh, some focus specifically on hockey while others are, are working with different people from different parts of life. For me, particularly young, early on, um, I think it's important to focus on uh, proper technique and mobility. There's a tendency for young athletes to want to get bigger and stronger and get heavier you know they're weighing themselves all the time and yeah. hey dad i'm 180 pounds and i want to get to 190 and i want to get to 200 and you know if not trained properly there's that natural tendency for an athlete to get bigger and stronger and and the, the challenge with that in most cases is you get bigger and stronger and slower and um hockey players naturally develop muscular imbalance so my view with a trainer early on is to identify the athlete, look at the individual athlete and what their imbalances are and help them with their posture and particularly with the secondary muscles, you know, your quads and your glutes and your, you know, your big power muscles get developed, but you've got to, you've got to develop those ancillary muscles, not just in strength, but in mobility. So I really want a trainer in the early stages in particular to focus on technique, safety, 
not about getting bigger and stronger. It's about moving better and being more athletic and developing a good fundamental program. Awesome. Yeah. And I, I think, I think... And I also think communication is key. You know, it's, it's important for you to feel a, a connection with, with your trainer. You know, uh, the off season training is more important now than it's ever been. You know, pro players might take a month off and then they're back in the gym. So when you think of the length of a hockey season, it's eight months where you've got three months, three and a half months to work on your strength. And then you, it's hard to maintain that for eight months. It's impossible to at the amount of ice you get. So there's a real emphasis on, on, on good training. And I think focused on the things I talked about, but also being very communicative. Um, and that conversation continues, not just through the summer, but through the winter and through the playing over your playing career. Yeah. I wanted to just reiterate some of what you said, you know, like it speaks to a theme that we're, we we bring up fairly uh, often on this podcast and we will continue to around patience. And, you know, I think some of what you said is important for young players and their parents, right? Because it's, you might get with a trainer and uh, people think, wow, they're not, they're not pushing them hard enough or they're not lifting enough or, you know, they're just stretching or like, yeah. it's so easy to feel like um, you're not doing enough. Right. You're not doing enough when in fact the trainer is doing the right thing based on what you said. Um, but you know, so-and-so over there at this other gym that plays on this other team, he's lifting all these big weights and it, he looks stronger and bigger. And I feel like yeah. my kid isn't getting what he needs. Yeah. So, I mean, speak that a little bit. I've seen that firsthand either with my own kids or in, in working, you know, as an advisor, um, a lot of kids get drawn to that. They like to go to the gym, turn the music up. There's a lot of bravado. And uh, that's a red flag for me. So first of all, every kid is different. So what I don't want in a gym is c competition. I want everybody to run their own race and be focused on their own program. I don't like to see kids doing the same exercises all the time and, and simultaneously. Because again, that doesn't always address the individual needs of each athlete. Um, and I think one of the, you know, a good trainer is going to instill a discipline around training hard, but training smart and taking recovery days. So having a great summer of training is not just about putting hours in the gym. It's about sleeping, proper hydration, proper nutrition, and playing other sports. Um, one of the things that I see now more than ever is I see hockey players. And I think this is probably true for a lot of sports. I see a lot of manufactured players you know they've spent a lot of time playing spring hockey they're doing private skating sessions they're playing on the best you know minor hockey league team they're in the gym they might be in the gym you know extra through the winter um and then when when you watch them you know they're good players but they're manufactured and they're structured and they've not learned to think oftentimes one of the things i'll do when i interview a kid is i'll I'll throw a baseball to him and I'll say, here, throw this back to me. And it's amazing. When I grew up, I played baseball and I love baseball as much as I loved hockey. A lot of kids today, they've never played another sport. And I've seen kids that are earmarked to be first round draft picks. They can't throw a baseball. So yeah. I think um, the key to training, it's, it's a, have, have your own race. You don't want to be in an environment where there's bravado and everybody's just trying to, you know, deadlift more, more weight. 
focus on mobility, focus on, uh, on, on movement, on being better, a better athlete and doing other things for fun. You yeah, know, get out I, and play around a golf or play basketball or tennis or do other things that are athletic that, you know, it's, it, it has an impact on your body, but you're also having, having a good time. Yeah, and I, I do think the kids need, they need, they need to be kids. You know, they need to hang out with their friends and, uh, and do kid things as well. Yeah. I mean, I played, I played baseball every summer from the time I was five years old until, uh, probably 12 or 13, something around there. And I, you know, I absolutely loved it. It was a blast. You know, we had a you know great group of guys, a lot of guys that we played hockey with and like, mm, like yeah. you said, Sean, it doesn't seem like many kids these days play other sports. You know, they get out for a couple rounds of golf, but they're not really involved in much else other than, you know, hockey in the winter, uh, spring leagues, you know, training and skating in the summer. So yeah. uh, we, we had a ton of fun. I got into golf when I was, you know, 13 years old and um, started getting in a ton of rounds. But uh, I guess I'm, I'm the opposite end of the scale because I never actually did the summer training. So that that ties in there. But it's uh, it would be nice to see see more kids playing different sports. So. Well, here's here's a couple of great examples. You know, the greatest player of all time, Wayne Gretzky played hockey, put his gear away, played baseball, played lacrosse. And then the fall would roll around. He'd get his gear out of the garage and loosen it up and go back and play hockey. Sidney Crosby, you know, you played hockey with Sid. Sid was a great baseball player. Sid was a good athlete, played basketball, played school sports. He wasn't a 12 month a year hockey player. And we won a mosquito away Atlantic championship. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I, I think, those are two great examples. And, you know, I, I think, again, we get so focused on the path and getting better and being better than this kid or staying in that upper echelon. And I think pro hockey or uh, spring hockey's it made the hockey season twice as long. And I think there's merit to some of it, but in yeah. some cases I think it's too much, but kids don't have the time and parents don't have the money to play other sports. Let's be honest. It's, it's, uh, it's not like it was, you know, 15 or 20 years ago. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you went there because I was going to ask about it anyway. But like, you know, you see all these articles that, you know, in the studies of early specialization and, you know, you, you share it on Facebook, hoping people will read it. And, and I think people read it and they, they understand it. But I find I, I, it's like people aren't really taking action based on that information. Yeah. It's like the, I get it. It makes sense. But everyone else is doing it, so I'm going to do it. It's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope. I, I was there. You know, I, I was guilty of that for a period of time. I, I would say as a hockey dad, I've been, I was involved in hockey my entire life, and that accelerated when after I stopped playing. I was more involved in hockey after that. And then all of a sudden, I have a family. My first is a son. Of course, he's going to be a hockey player. And for me, I had a set of rules that I would govern myself by. And I'd admit by Pee-wee, I broke every rule. <laughs> and I remember sitting, we were in Toronto and Liam came in, sat in the car and he cried and I cried and I realized I was doing it wrong. I had to go back to my rules. Yeah. And um, it's a slippery slope being a hockey parent, particularly yeah. if you've got a good player, a good athlete, yeah. male or female, you know, you want them to succeed. You want them to realize their dreams. You want them to play college or get an education or you want them to be a professional hockey player. And, um, you know, there's ego involved and, you know, some parents get a mess with their kids. It's not just the kid's journey. It's the parents and the kid's journey. 
uh, they become defined by it and uh, it's 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 human nature uh, and at some point you realize you know some some people gain a perspective along the way and realize okay this just doesn't make any sense anymore and uh, it is hard I, I remember a couple of springs Liam was probably PEH and I said no to spring hockey and they're like what do you mean no, we'll, we'll, we'll pay for it. No, no, it's not about money. I, I, I think he's had enough hockey and, and people were, you know, not yeah. happy with me. Yeah. Took it personally. And I'm like, you know, uh, I'm going to, we're going to take a different path. I can see it in his eyes. You know, my rule is always, and this is true for all players. You want them to take you to the rink. You don't want to be taking them to the rink. Yep. And there's a subtle difference. You're driving them, but are they waking you up in the morning? Or do they have that look in their eyes? And, um, you have to, you have, you know, it's different for every kid. Yeah. And if I look at my four, some of them were more eager to go to the rink than others. And the ones that, and, and there was never resistance by me. It was never, you got to go to practice. You don't want to go. You don't have to go. If you want to go, I want you to let me know ahead of time. We'll go there. We'll make sure you're on time and work, work as hard as you can. So, you know, it's like anything you love chocolate, chocolate ice cream. Well, you can't eat it every day. Uh, you know, you love to golf, but you're probably not going to want to golf every day. In hockey, you know, you don't want to be on the ice for 300 hours in a year. You know, they, they lose that, that appetite. And I think it's really important that the parents of the younger kids, um, you know, the 8, 9, 10, 11s, they really got to listen to this because if they're playing at high levels, you know, by the time they are 13, 14, 15, now it is becoming more difficult to pull them away from it in the off season because – you know, there's training camps that start in August and you got to be well, ready for say, that. And yeah, I would say, you know, you know, at 15, maybe 14, yeah. you know, you, you have to make a decision. You know, for me, I was a better basketball player and baseball player than hockey player. And my basketball coach told me, Hey, it's time for you to make a decision. And bullheaded me said, well, I'm quitting basketball. I'm going to go play hockey. And it worked out pretty good, but kids make those decisions probably early, much earlier now than we did when we were kids. And I would right. say, you know, play ball or do something else in the summer. But when you have, when you're at the age where you start to have to work on your body, you know, maybe going into major Bantam your second year and then into major midget, uh, it's probably, uh, you know, don't throw away the golf clubs or, you know, play pickup ball or do something. But the commitment over the summer months is predominantly training around hockey. Yeah. No, and, uh, you know, whenever I get into this conversation with people, you know, in recent years, I'll say, well, I don't know how I can hammer it home to you, but like, if, if Connor's not a case study in the fact that you don't have to be on the ice 12 months a year, I don't know what is, you know, like he took three years away, barely skated and came back and, and he's worked his butt off to get where he is playing major juniors at 16. So there you go. I mean, it is totally proved that you can take a couple months off every summer. Yeah. Right? And yeah. Well, I, I, Connor's story is an exceptional one. I, I don't know any other story like it ever uh, in my, my time in hockey. Um, but I think every, you know, you look at your cell battery and you can only charge it so much, but it, you know, the more you charge it, the, the faster it wears out. And I think each of us, we have this capacity for something, hockey. And if you, if you take it away, your appetite gets stronger. The battery gets stronger. 
hundred percent. And I think in his case, I remember him coming back thinking, I don't know whether I can play major band. I'm, you know, I'll try out. And yeah. sure enough, he made the team and by Christmas, he was a factor. And then major, like it was just, but you could just see the appetite. Well, and so and, even though the reps, the reps weren't there and the games weren't there for three years, but the appetite was there. And, and I think that's a great example. You know, for me, when I look at a player, there's three characteristics, attitude, aptitude, and will. And will is that appetite. And you can't teach that. You either have it or you don't have it. And he has it. I'll never forget. I think we were just coming from, or I was just coming from Cole Harbor Place, probably getting some hand-me-down gear from Scott Fairbairn when, <laughs> when Connor got the green light. And this was July. And I called Chris Donnelly, head coach of Dal right now. Yeah. And I said, Don's like, do you get a hockey camp or something? Because like, I don't know if Connor can skate. Like, <laughs> you're gonna be an ankle biter. <laughs> and and but he he told me he said exactly what you just said. He goes, Chad, I'm telling you, it, I mean, I'm 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 sure you wish you didn't have to go through those three years, but it could be the best thing for him because he's gonna be hungrier than almost anyone. Yeah. And. Yeah. Um, that's that's exactly what you were just saying. So, sure, I see I see that in Connor every day. It's uh, it's crazy ever since. And and when you know when we got that that day, we got the green light and um, found out you know he's good to go. And I think I've mentioned this before that it's not just about hockey. It's just about him being able to be normal again and do yeah. everything he loved to do before that he couldn't do for three years and. Uh, you know, he still has that love for hockey, obviously, and these last few years have been uh, been pretty crazy to see. But the will and just that desire he has to uh, compete, yeah. uh, the love for the game is uh, it's it's crazy. And and that time away, it's you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. I think that that is uh, truly part of Connor's story, and and will be for a long time. The fact that he's got that work ethic and that drive that. Um, yeah. it's going to be hard to, hard to get. You can't really breathe that into someone. So no, you can't teach it. You know, if I, I think of attitude, aptitude, and will attitude is recognizing that you've got something to learn. Your glass doesn't matter how good you are. I think of Danny Flynn who coached in Moncton. What makes Danny a special coach is he's always got an appetite to, to learn from you. You can sit and have a conversation with him. He's like, let's share drills. You know, uh, Scotty Bowman was like that. Um, you know, the top hockey players love the game and they're always learning. Aptitude is you're smart enough to know that you don't have all the answers and that you've got to be resourceful and you've got to have good people around you and good coaches and good trainers and uh, good advisors. Uh, and then the will is the sheer force. And, and that is, you know, I think my son Liam is an example of that. Uh, Connor is most definitely an example of that. It's just the sheer will. And will is going to take you farther than skill. I've seen a lot of great skilled players. Uh, attitude might have been good. Aptitude might have been there. But the will, you know, the sheer force of showing up every day uh, just wasn't there. So, yeah. You mentioned uh, you mentioned Danny Flynn. He was my – he ran the uh, D the year, uh, the year that we went to Mem Cup, one President's Cup. Uh, and you, uh, you said you had a lot of great conversations with them. Have you ever talked to him about anything that didn't have to do with hockey? Uh, no, I don't think yeah. so. <laughs> right? Right? I, I maybe, don't think maybe that happens. a little happened. bit about family, but... I don't know. Danny I don't know is, if it happens. Danny is, like, 
and I, I don't know Danny really well, but we see each other. We, and he had more insight than his head scouts on players. Meanwhile, he's the head coach, general manager. And you get on the phone, you'd be exhausted by the time you get off. Like, you know, he just, his energy level and his commitment level, his preparedness is just off the charts. Um, I, I, pro- I don't think I ever talked about anything other than hockey. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I don't think I've seen, I've seen too many people, if anyone ever, who studied the game the way that, that man yeah. does. It's, it's yeah. impressive. So, Sean, so now he's with the Columbus Blue Jackets. There you go. Yeah, no. he's a yeah scout for them. Cool. So I'm curious, um, what are your thoughts on you know, minor hockey as it exists today? Uh, you know, I know most of your time is spent watching you know the older players and t- top level players, but like minor hockey, like novice through Bantam midget, like what what have you seen in recent years that that you like or that you don't like? I think. Uh, hockey in Nova Scotia is in a good place. And I think the executive director, um, Amy Walsh is doing a terrific job. Um, and not just from a development perspective, but I think they're trying to grow the game. They're trying to grow the female game. They're growing, you know, the game for, you know, they have a, a play program for black youth. They have a program for minorities. They have a program for, those with disabilities, like they're doing a great job of growing the game. I know they're fight, they're swimming against the current because I think to some extent hockey is getting a reputation of being aggressive, um, you know, parents overbearing in some cases. I think, you know, I don't think we're any worse than any other sport, but I think that reflects negatively. And I think the cost of playing hockey is, is a, a huge factor for a lot of kids. So, I know that hockey is growing. They're doing a great job. I, I like where the where the direction. I like um, a lot of what I see. I think we're doing a great job of developing players on both the male and female side. Um, but I think, like all other major sports, there there there's a there's a little resistance. There's other sports that are creeping in, or other recreational activities that are creeping in that are impacting. For example, you know, when I was a kid, I played, you know, competitive basketball and I could play basketball and hockey in the wintertime. Can't do that today. If you want to be a competitive hockey player, you're at Adam and you're playing Adam, you know, the high level of Adam and the coach is saying, kid, you got to make a decision. You can't miss practice. Like this is, this is the top Adam team. So I think, you know, one of the things that I'd love to see is I'd like to see the promotion. And I know Amy's interested in this is, working with other sports associations to create schedules that are a little more flexible to promote the, the athlete as opposed to just one specific player. But um, my biggest concern with hockey today is uh, I think the cost is a real issue. Even kids that want to play house league hockey, it could cost them as much as a thousand dollars a year to play. And then extra ice and the equipment. And of course, kids at that age are growing. So they got to buy new skates and it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, in some cases, it's, it's priced itself out, out of many families. Mm. So, so like speaking of that, and I guess this is specific to Nova Scotia, but you know, the major Bantam league is, um, is, is fairly new. You know, when I played Bantam, it was just minor hockey band. It's 10 years, it's 10 years now. Or, yeah. This is the 10th year, I believe. Wow. So I'm old too. Um, mm-hmm. 
but peewee or major peewee or whatever they call it, you know, and, and yeah. I honestly, I honestly don't know all the ins and outs about that, but I know there's a fair bit of controversy about it. Um, you know, and that speaks to the cost. It's more travel. Yeah. Well, here, I, what I don't like, I don't like major BAM and I don't like major peewee. Um, and, and the reason for it is your best coaches are, you know, in our day, the Pee Wee AAA coach or the Bantam AAA coach. And I think at one point, the province would have somewhere around 30 Bantam AAA teams and 30 Pee Wee AAA teams. And now what you've done is you've compressed. So you've got less players playing at the highest level and you've got, let's say, 12 teams. So you've gone, you know, you think of, you now have 18 teams of kids that age that would normally be playing AAA that are now playing AA or the next level down where they're pushed into their communities where they don't have a major team. And then that same group of kids goes down to the next level. And as you go lower and lower, uh, the coaching and the development is not as strong. And I've seen lots of kids, you know, that were not triple A kids go on and have great careers because it just took them a little longer. So, you know, I think the objective of, of both leagues is to create an environment of development and growth. And I don't disagree with that, but, uh, I don't think it needs to be done at that age. You know, you get kids in Amherst that have to travel an hour and a half, or yeah. if you're in Yarmouth, you got to go up to Liverpool or Bridgewater. Um, more time, more money, and I, I don't think, you know, I think in 10 years' time we'll look back, and I don't think it's had an impact on the development. If anything, it might stifle it a little bit. Another thing on my mind that I was curious to get your thoughts on is is, is still, still with the minor hockey theme, but... Um, I think we've all seen too many times where there's a physically dominant player at Adam or Pee Wee, and um, the coach. It's easy to ride that player and just let him just push people out of the way and score goals. That's um, not necessarily helping that player. You oh. know, I, again, I think you've seen it probably more times than, than me, but like, what are your thoughts on that? And, and what kind of messages would you give to the coaches and parents of those players? Well, I've seen that a hundred times. There's a kid every year where you see, this is a big horse. He's, you know, he or she, they've gone through puberty early. They're dominant physically. And um, typically when you're the dominant player, you don't feel anybody on your back. So you don't have the same drive. You're probably not going to practice as hard or you're, there's the odd exception, but the kids, take they go, Hey, I'm, I'm pretty good. You know, and they get comfortable and then they stop growing or maybe they continue to grow, but they've developed some really bad ha- habits. Right. And that's, that's the area that, you know, there's not much thing you can do about growth, but yeah. I've seen a lot of kids, you know, major Bantam where they're the go-to player and they're on the ice for two minute power plays, every power play, regardless of the score and their first unit, first line and they're the center on the fourth line and they're killing penalties. And I, I watch these players and some of them are good team players, but some of them develop a lot of selfish habits. And um, I've seen a lot of good players. I had this one kid I think of, and he was a really good hockey player. And if you looked at the stats, um, this guy was a guy that would get drafted and um, you know, a lot of hockey people thought he was one of the best players, his age in, in the province. I watched him and I just saw someone that didn't see his line mates and didn't play on both sides of the puck and didn't compete. And, you know, his body language wasn't positive if his line mates didn't make a play. And I just saw this series of bad habits develop. 
And he, he was never able to shake those bad habits. And he was a guy that if he was coached and instructed properly and maybe didn't have that sense of entitlement that he was given, he could, you know, the outcome could have been different. So, yeah, it's, uh, I love to see, you know, I think of Steve Kroll in Dartmouth, who's done a great job coaching midget hockey in Nova Scotia for a long time. And what I love about what Steve does is everybody has a role and he doesn't have a power play unit or a penalty kill unit until after Christmas. Everybody uh, plays one, plays both. And then he, he'll shape his lineup. And by the time playoffs hit, everybody's, it's like an orchestra. Everybody's playing their own instrument. They know what line they're on and what their role is. And everybody's bought in. And typically at the end of the year, everybody's playing at a higher level. Nobody feels like they've been, you know, disjointed. Um, and I love to see that in minor hockey. I love to see coaches roll the lines and, and give everybody an opportunity to grow and succeed. Yeah, and um, I sort of wanted to bring it a little bit to uh, parents and players sort of leading up to the Q draft. And we sort of just went through that last year. And just yeah. sort of advice to parents especially, like getting caught up in rankings and – players too but um just sort of advice to to the whole family on how to how to approach that and sort of what goes into the the key draft leading up to it <laughs> we gotta, we could talk about this one for a long time um yeah. what do you mean it was I easy think, <laughs> yeah yeah father sean um <laughs> i think the reality is you know you only understand the experience in hindsight you know it's when you're experiencing it for the first time, I've experienced it twice. Um, and, you know, it was a different experience each time. Uh, but it, it gives you a frame of reference for the experience. So it's easy for me to say, this is how you should behave when I empathize with parents that go through the situation because uh, they haven't experienced it before. And it is exciting. And it's, it is, um, there is some degree of pressure with it. It is, it preoccupies you. It's something that it's exciting and it's nerve wracking. So recognize that that's the case. The other thing is there's, I've never seen a parent that worries or pushes or, you know, I've never seen a parent impact positively uh, a draft situation. Um, there's nothing you can do other than to take your kid to the rink and be encouraging and positive and focus on positives. Um, I do see parents put too much pressure on their kids. Um, I see parents, uh, you know, they mean well, but, you know, they, it's kind of like you go to work every day. And as an adult, imagine your boss is over your shoulder. You're driving to work with your, with your boss. And the whole time your, your boss is telling you, you got to have a good day today. You got to show up. There's going to be people to watch you. And then you, you work all day and your boss is over your shoulder. And then you get in the car, you got to drive home and your boss is there. And you're, that, you know, hockey parents can take on that dynamic. Um, you know, I want, want you to have a really good day today. It's an important game and, you know, score some goals and, you know, and then the drive home. And then the worst than that are the drives when the games don't go so well. So I think, you know, for parents, recognize as, as quickly as you can that the, the most positive impact you can have with your kids is to focus on positives. And generally, if, you know, the kids, the players know what they didn't do well. You don't need to remind them. I just, for me, my dialogue, you know, 
one of my rules was always find something positive. It could have been a 10 one loss and, you know, Rowan had, you know, 40 shots on goal and stopped 30 of them. I'd say, but that 30th save was an outstanding one. He'd go, yeah, Dad, what about the other 10? I don't know. But I'd always try to focus on the positives. And uh, the only time that I would get constructive with my kids is when the effort wasn't there. And, uh, you know, I don't mind bringing you to the rink. I don't mind paying the bills. I don't mind getting your, the new stick or the skates or whatever, but you got to show up to work. And uh, that was the only area in, from a parenting perspective that I, I'd get firm every once in a while. If the work ethic wasn't there, then they'd hear about it from me. But generally, you know, my advice to parents is just focus on the positives. And there's times where you're in the car and you're biting your tongue and you're like, God damn, what a stupid play that was, or that toe drag at the blue line. But <laughs> They know it. That's what the coaches are for. And the sooner you allow your kid to enjoy the game and focus on positives, you're going to have a better experience and the, and the kid's going to have a better experience. I remember one thing I said to Connor um, at the beginning of his major midget year. It's probably based on something you told me, but uh, just, yeah, they're scouting you. Just assume that there's a bunch of scouts every game. And there you go. So just forget about it. They're there every game. Don't worry about it. Don't think about who's scouting me. Someone is all the time, but yeah. forget it. Just play your game. And that's and easy the, to say, but. Yeah. And the thing with scouts is, you know, a lot of people think a scout goes, and if you go and you score three goals, and wow, the scouts noticed you. And sometimes that's the case, but really what a good scout is looking for is progression. So they'll go and they watch in September, and then they'll come back and see you in October, and then they'll see you in late November, and then they'll see you at the Christmas tournament, and they'll see you in January. And what they want to see is they want to see a, a progression. So you can go out and have a bad night. You can go out and have a good night. What's important over a longer period of time is, is to continue to get a little bit better. And when I watch a player at 15, I'm not looking for a player at 15. I'm looking to understand where that player is going to be at 18 and at 20 and at 22. So you can go out and not score goals or not have an effective night. But the secret um, that players have to think about is, is you know consistency and in progression yeah i uh i had a question kind of around that you know we're talking that age like 15 16 where you're getting drafted to the queue or junior a whatever it might be and uh earlier you'd mentioned or maybe chad had that you were the first ever coach of the atlantic uh, under 17 team um and you know a lot of times you know connor and i both played under 17, under 16, and Canada Games, the years that we happened to be there. Uh, so we didn't do the Team Atlantic thing. But uh, it seems like back to the parent thing, a lot of parents put a lot of emphasis on their kids needing to make those teams or the importance of that. What can, you know, what are your thoughts on the importance of those, you know, making those provincial or, or regional teams? And does it, does it really matter? Well, I think, if you make it, it matters, you know, and then, and then if you don't make it, people say, well, it doesn't matter. You know, it, it's, it's why you didn't make it. You know, I, I can think of goaltenders, you know, if you're team Atlantic and they don't have team Atlantic anymore, but you know, there's only two goalies. You could be the third goalie and be a great goaltender. Um, it doesn't mean that you're, you know, you're not going to advance. It takes six defense or seven defense. You could be the eighth defenseman. Maybe you haven't gone through puberty yet, or you're just you're going to get more dialed in as opposed to the first two guys aren't going to get as dialed in. So 
you know, it, it, you want to aspire, you want to make those teams, but recognize that if you don't make the team, it certainly isn't over. And I can think of a guy uh, from Cape Breton, from Judic, uh, Andrew McDonald, played in Moncton, uh, played tier two in, in Truro, never drafted, still playing professional hockey. Um, uh, Zach McEwen, who I drafted with the Amherst Ramblers, I tip my hat to, to uh, uh, John Davidson, who was a young kid at the time who wanted to get involved in scouting. And I said, just go out and watch high school games. And he came back to me and goes, I got this kid, Zach McEwen, you should draft him. And we drafted him. I'd never seen Zach McEwen. He's playing for the Vancouver Canucks now. Wow. Um, he, he wasn't on the radar on the under 14 or under 15. He's playing high school hockey over on the island. And he's a legitimate, he's going to have an NHL career. Um, so, you know, it's great to be on those programs. You want to aspire to be on those programs. I like to think that there's not a lot of politics involved. I think there used to be more than there was, there is now. Um, but it's not make or break. Yeah, no, that's, uh, I think that's good for people to hear because, you know, you definitely want to make the team. You're always striving to be the best and be one of the top players, but there's a lot of examples that Andrew McDonald example, you know, resonates with me. I played with him in Moncton um, yeah. and Danny Flynn and, and Ted Nolan got him up there. Right. And uh, I, I didn't know much about him, but we were the same age growing up the whole way. He was in Cape Breton. I was in Cole Harbor. Um, you know, we played midget against each other, played some growing up against each other, but I didn't really know. I didn't know about the D one scholarship, any of that stuff he had um, been planning on and showed up in Moncton and, and I brought him up on, on an earlier episode and just the fact that he, he just did it right. He he's one of those guys you relied on. He made the right play. He was in the right place. He got the, puck through, got the puck through on net. It wasn't yeah. always the hardest shot. He had a great shot when he got off, you know, a big one, but he would float them in there six inches high and get a ton of points. And, you know, defensively, he was just, he was a guy who could be out in any situation. And I had mentioned Mark Edward Vlasic, uh, you know, played with him. Same before. kind of player. They're, they're yeah, identical yeah. in so yeah. many ways. Yeah. Um, you, you just you put them on the ice and you trust that they're going to get the job done. Yeah, very efficient. Yeah. So yeah. We, b- before we dive more into the, the scouting stuff, Sean, I'm curious, any, you know, some of your favorite stories from being a hockey dad or some of the craziest stuff you saw? Anything oh, you want to share well, there? Um, <laughs> I got a lot, of, a lot of funny stories. As a hockey dad, you know, I... I don't know that I have a lot of, I, I remember one time coaching in the Quebec Bulldog tournament and uh, I was coaching uh, Liam's major, major whatever it was, novice probably. And uh, we had some good players on the team. Anthony Mantha, who plays for the Detroit Red Wings, was on the team. Luca Champini played for uh, the Mooseheads, was the first pick, first pick for the Mooseheads that year. Charles Udon, Montreal Canadiens. Um, uh, William Carrier plays in Vegas. Like, we had a really good team. I'm coaching. Uh, Anthony Duclair, Ottawa Senators. These guys are all on the same team. Wow. <laughs> and uh, we'd go to Quebec, and we I was living in Montreal. Coached a team called the Atomic. And uh, we'd go in, and this Quebec Bulldog team was the real deal. They were really, really good, and they were well-coached, and they looked like a million bucks, matching gloves, helmets, pants. And we were a ragtag bunch of guys that we just pulled in. And we just mopped the floor with them. And I remember the parents of this bulldog team, they had a real attitude, you know, and we beat them in the, in the, and we played them in the final. 
and uh, I'm coaching and I'm coaching to win and not that I'm not rolling lines, but I'm, I'm dialed in like the big speeches between the periods and everything. <laughs> and uh, I remember the game's over and the kids are on the ice and they're excited and all the parents are gathered for a big photo. And some guy comes out of the Zamboni area by our bench with a shovel and he swings it at me. <laughs> he hit me with a shovel. What? <laughs> I get hit with a shovel. I'm coaching. I'm no walking way. out to get on the ice, and the guy comes out and he clubs you with a, with a shovel. Is it a parent yeah, from the other team? It was or a like parent, what? yeah, parent of the wow. Quebec Bulldogs. Yeah, it hit me, it hit my arm, it kind of hit me in the head. And then I took the shovel and I buried it. Um, it was, <laughs> he, picked, he picked the wrong guy. So, uh, yeah, that was, oh, that was one of the craziest things I've experienced as a hockey parent. Here <laughs> That's we go. Awesome. Here, stereotypical hockey story but yeah, you know, yeah. I, I didn't see that happen very often but it's a good mm-hmm. one you told me you told me once well you told me this one a few times sean uh liam didn't give uh, a great effort or something and uh, i think oh. you drove from the centennial to the halifax forum yeah. and steve bent followed you <laughs> yeah that was, was this one of the times TV. you broke your own rules no i i okay. I, I would i would not have done this done this any differently and again for me you could go out and make mistakes I didn't mind that you can go out and uh, you know try hard and not have any success that's fine but if you didn't work hard and you weren't a good teammate I hated players that would be selfish it would drive me crazy and it, as much maybe even more so in my own kids I always said you got to share the puck and be a good teammate anyway they were playing uh, at Dow, at the old Dow rink, rink that's since been pulled down, and uh, love that rink. I don't know what was. I don't know what was. It was I a know. great rink, a great, great ice. It was one of my favorite rinks. Anyway, I don't know what happened that day, but he mailed it in, and I wasn't happy. And it wasn't that they won or lost, or that he had goals or didn't have goals. I just his effort wasn't very wasn't there. And he, Liam was not guilty of that very often, but on this day, he 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 just dialed it in. So. We're leaving the rink and Steve was behind me with Kelly and he's, you know, equally frustrated at Kelly's efforts. And I said, follow me. <laughs> Steve had no idea where we were going and we're driving up Roby Street, down Windsor Street. And I parked in front of the Halifax Forum and Steve's literally like, follow me. He has no idea where we're going. So he's right behind me driving his car and he parks and he gets out of the car, tells Kelly to get out of the car. And, we walk into the forum and Steve has, still has no idea what we're going to do. And I, you know, I just said, Liam, start running the stairs. Run the stairs until I tell you to stop. And Steve comes walking and says, Kelly, run the stairs, you know. <laughs> Don't stop until I tell you. He's just doing everything I am. I'm just, we're standing there with, you know, two fat hockey dads. And meanwhile, our kids are doing the stairs for about an hour. Uh, you guys got bags That's of chips. Uh, yeah, we, we probably went over to Johnny's snack bar for hamburger. <laughs> and we come back, and I'm, I'm like, okay, that's enough. So I stopped. We get in the car. And I said, bud, do you know what that was for? And he goes, yeah. I said, okay. And that was it. And I don't think, you know. Never happened again. His, his calling card today is, and, and I'm not saying that I, that one event yeah, yeah, made yeah. it, but, yeah. you know, he, he shows up to work every day. And uh, he doesn't take a day off. 100%. Good story. Love that. 
I love that's that awesome. One. I can't believe I never heard that. Oh, really? Yeah. No, I I'm never just heard glad that. nobody called social services. <laughs> <laughs> now, what I'm not doing is the parents that are listening. Last thing I want to see is you guys at the forum next year running your kids up the stairs. But, do, as I, do as I say, yeah. not as I do. Yeah. 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 Exactly. We're, we're circling back to, to hypocrisy. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. So let's touch quickly on uh, Sean O'Brien, the player. So you so you play university hockey. So yeah, I grew up in no, Halifax, no, no played slouch. for Halifax Minor. Um, I loved the game. I wasn't very good. And uh, I would say, you know, I'd start off, you know, I'd never made the A team. I'd always be on the B or C team. And then every second year, I'd be just either the last cut or the last guy to make the team. Uh, played Pee Wee AAA, which is a big thing for me. I was probably the fifth or sixth defenseman. And then I went to Bantam and I got cut and played House League. And that really upset me. And I, one of my best years of hockey was playing house league Bantam in Halifax. Imagine playing Pee Wee AAA and then house league. And that was to some extent politics, but I didn't understand it at the time. And, and uh, I started refereeing. I realized I need to become a better skater so I could get paid eight or 10 bucks an hour to referee and work on my skating. And, and I, I ref more games that year than I played. I went the next year and I played um, Bantam AAA and then, I played major midget, um, you know, two years later. And, um, you know, I was, I was limited in my abilities, but I committed hard. I was a team guy and worked hard and played physical and yeah, kept it simple. Um, and then, you know, played junior and then played at Dalhousie for at 18. I was 18 years of age and, uh, planned to go back and play junior a hockey. And, uh, I got a call from Dal and went and played varsity hockey at Dal. And then uh, I was supposed to, I had an opportunity to go to a place called Dartmouth, Dartmouth College, which is uh, an Ivy League school in, in New England. And my funding was cut. I, I, the scholarship wasn't enough for me to go and ended up at Dal. And then two years later, went to Acadia. I always wanted to go away and play hockey somewhere and ended up going and playing for Tom Cool and at Acadia, which was a great experience. So, yeah, that's my career. I, you know, I, I did, I maximized my opportunities. Um, I don't think I would have ever been a pro, but um, I had a good time and played with some great players and made a lot of long lasting relationships. Yeah. KD is not a bad spot. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, yeah you I had played, fun there. Yeah. For four years, I imagine you had a little bit of fun. How was, uh, I think I think something that people don't realize too often is the uh, the quality of the game in the AUS or the CIS. Um, but I'd even say the AUS in particular. You know, you see a lot of yeah. uh, top teams coming out of there. You know, UMB is one that's easy to pick, obviously, and um, you know, winning a ton of national championships in the AUS. So, how yeah. do you compare that game? You know, the the jump from major junior to even AUS, if we call it, you know, a jump because guys leave and go play pro and then guys who were you know they might have been close but maybe they just made the decision and went and played university what uh what are your thoughts on that well first of all canadian university hockey is the most underrated hockey there is um and it's i love the hockey because it's still physical uh, and a lot of you know you go to watch a major junior game at the metro center now and you might go a whole, whole period without a good body check where you go play watch college hockey and it's it's heavy hockey like St. Louis Blues hockey. Um, 
and then we're spoiled in our region. You know, the uh, AUS is the best conference. Um, and when I played, you know, Alberta was a good team and there's a few good teams in Ontario, but University of Moncton was always strong. UPI was always strong. Um, Dow for many years had a strong team. Um, and today, you know, you've got four of the best programs in the country. And I would say all programs are competitive. Dow's done a good job. They're getting better and they've got a great recruiting year this year. Um, Steiny's done a great job. Pedal's done a great job. You know, uh, Acadia, they've, you know, they've done a great job. So, and then of course you've got UNB, which is the standard in college hockey. And, and UDM and PEI aren't far off. So it's good hockey. And it, it, it's, a, it's a major step up from major junior. Uh, it's a different kind of hockey. It's not as freewheeling and wide open. It's more physical. It's more it's heavier hockey. But, you know, I look at this year, my son played, you know, Liam played in Hershey and Philip Maye, who was a four-year guy at UNB, um, signed a pro contract, an American League deal. And uh, I think he's one of the top three scorers. So here's a guy that mm. played in Victoriaville, had a very good career. He's a little bit undersized. Um, went to UNB, played four years. They won a couple of national championships, at least while he was there. And now he's a pro. He's, he's making good money, and he's—I uh, think this—this this is his third year of pro hockey. Yeah, there's uh, those are some some of the cool stories I think are guys who go they they get their education, you know, the Canadian university. They didn't go to you know play D one that type of thing, and then they continue on from there. They put in the time, they work hard through university, and then they go play pro, and they have good you know really great hockey careers, whether it be you know, minor pro in the, in the U S and Canada or head to Europe. Uh, I played with a couple of guys who did that. And then, um, you know, you get guys on other paths. Funny. It just made me think of, uh, Paul McFarland, who's one of the yep. assistant coaches with the Toronto. Major Katie. That's yeah. Right. He was my captain, uh, for three years there. I think it was. So, yeah. Um, Good player. yeah, terrific player. One of the, and again, though, just, a hockey mind a student of the game and one yeah. of the hardest workers that, yeah. uh, that you'd ever run into. So it's uh, you know, all the different paths, right? This week, Joel Ward retired. Yes, and uh, Liam, Liam was fortunate enough to play with Joel in Washington and just loved him. Uh, it was just loved him as a teammate, but Joel retired. And I remember watching Joel Ward. I was scouting, going to the forum, watching him play in a green and white UPEI Panthers uniform. And uh, he was the best player in the league. And I'm watching him thinking, I don't know if this guy could skate well enough to play in the NHL. Well, I was wrong. He certainly <laughs> could. He was a heck of a player. But, you know, he played – there was no pro opportunities for him, and he went and played college hockey. And uh, he's just retired. I think he's probably played a 15-year career. And he's made a good living, and he's, you know, he's had a real great career. What strikes me listening to those stories as a hockey parent, it's – Again, back to the patience, right? Like, it's a long road. Like, you know, yeah. Connor's only 16. I feel like he's been at it for a while. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but he could play four more years in major junior. Then he could play four years at university, and he could still have an opportunity in pro hockey. Like, that's that's a long ways off. But it's back to you know, don't worry so much about what happened tonight or how you played that period. It's a long road, right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's you know the old adage you can manage with a, a, a carrot or you could manage with a stick and the stick is you know you had a good 
good night, I pat you on the back, you have a bad night, I give you a smack in the ass. The carrot is, you know, the positive reinforcement. And uh, you want a, a mule to run 100 yards, you hit it with a stick, but you want a mule to run a, a, a marathon, you better have a big bag of carrots. There you go. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. yeah, I like that too. <laughs> Well, that's it for part one of our chat with Sean O'Brien. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Lots of great stuff there and more to come in part two, which I promise we won't make you wait too long for. We'll try to get that out midweek. Thanks everyone for listening to the Road Trips podcast.